stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited. Hey there, welcome to Ignited the Podcast, where we celebrate innovation and rural success. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite, a place that brings startups and industry, youth and community together with the goal of making an impact on rural communities everywhere. This episode is a fun one for me. If you're of a certain age, like I am, and living in Canada, then you probably were a fan of the band April Wine, led by our guest today, primary songwriter, singer, and guitar player, Miles Goodwin. April Wine had definitely been part of the soundtrack of the lives of those in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they have the accolades to show for it, from the Rock of Fame to the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, the Juno Lifetime Achievement Award, the East Coast Music Lifetime Achievement Award, and SOCAN's National Achievement Award. And this year, Miles was inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Now, Miles has retired from April Wine, so to speak anyway, giving his final performance with them in March of 2023. But he is by no means retired. He's still serving as a manager for April Wine. He's still writing material for them. He has a new solo album that's being put together now and lots of solo performances, albeit closer to home than ever before. He joins us by phone from his home outside of Halifax. All right. First off, Miles, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I'm going to start off with a congratulations. You were recently conducted, inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. That has to mean a lot to you. Yeah, that was a biggie. Uh, of all the awards I've been lucky enough to be given uh, that with April Wine or on my own, this one is very, very special. First of all, because it's, it's for me. It's not for April Wine. You know, it's great to have a be part of this great band, you know, and uh, and to write for them and everything else. But it's always, it's songwriters in a band don't really aren't really recognized nearly as much as obviously a solo artist. So for them, um, you know, the first song I wrote was in high school. I was a hit for April Wine called "You Won't Dance with Me." Our, our you know, our first our very first album uh, called "April Wine." I wrote a song called "Fast Train," which was a hit for us. It's still getting played. And then every album since. So that was a long time ago. And uh, and I'm inducting the Canadian Hall of Fame in 2023. Um, that was a long time to wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still alive. I was able to 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 to, to go up there and and accept that. And it's it, it was a wonderful wonderful moment, especially having a lot of friends there. And and Lenny uh, Gallant, uh, my good buddy, was there to induct me. And then people like Jimmy Rankin and others on stage performing some of my songs. Yeah, it was a great, great, great night. Oh, it had to be. Now, may I ask, what's your process? And I know you've worked very hard at the craft. Do you approach it like, okay, uh, today from 3 to, until 5 o'clock, I'm going to write? Or is it as the muse strikes you? Yeah, as, 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 as it strikes me, um, uh, that other 9 to 5, that's Nashville. I, I've never been there. Uh, I like to write on my own almost always, always have. I've never fancied writing with other people. I've, a little, I've done a little bit in the past, and I'm actually working on with somebody else right now on a, on, a, on a new idea. But it's an inspiration, first of all. You know, it could be some words or some music. But I play guitar every day, which helps my odds <laughs> finding, of finding something. And I, I, I write in the morning. I, I, I don't write. I play I play guitar every day, and... I, and 
Uh, and I kind of put my coffee on and I wait till it's nice and ready and nice and hot and everything. And I spend that time. I'll spend 10, 15 minutes right out of bed. And I find that was that's when my head is very, very clear and ready to accept ideas. And that's where a lot of them come from, or that's where I finish them. You know, it's like, uh, and of course, I, I'll go off on my own in the middle of the day or at night and do it. But typically, that's what I like. When I wrote Just Between You and Me, my memoir, I did all of my writing. I started writing at about 5.30 in the morning because uh, it was clear and quiet. There was no distractions. And I would write, write, write until about, I don't know, maybe 5.30 till 8, you know, something like that, something like that. Um, and then I'd have a power nap and then get on with my day. I really like that early morning stuff where you're not disturbed by anything else. That's fantastic. Now, I was going to mention the autobiography. I read it back in the day. It's been a little while now. Um, and I was quite curious. I, I read somewhere uh, during the course of, of just doing social media and reading this, all the different material that's around, that you were going to be revising that. Is that true? Are you kind of updating your autobiography? Yeah, because it came out quite a while, while ago, and so much has happened since uh, I wrote that book. And For example, you know, COVID and how it's affected the music industry and me directly and April Wine directly, things like that. Uh, and, and much more, just a lot has happened, uh, retirement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I contacted a fellow that helped me do the, the original one, Martin Mel Hewish, his name is. And um, he was, uh, he was, he's great at finding facts. Like, you know, April Wine played in Germany and, uh, uh, and this year with, with such and such a band. And he'll go research it. And he'll come back with, to me with all this information that we edit it down so it works in the book. What I did like about the memoir, it's not an autobiography, quite different. Uh, a memoir, in my memoir, I, um, uh, I wanted to, to put some useful information there too. I, I thought it might, I mean, April Wine benefited from the, the TRC 30% Canadian content rule and it came out, I think in 69, I think mm-hmm. it was. Yep. No. And some people don't like it. Brian Adams never never cared for it. But then again, he came on he came along later. Uh, but it was wonderful. It just kind of opened up the whole industry. All of a sudden we had, you know, we had producers, we had more bands, we had record labels, we had recording studios, we had publishers. All of a sudden we, it was the beginning, the seed for a, a star system in this Canada in Canada would work. And I benefited from that neighbor wind in, the, in those beginning days, you know, and a lot of the readers are just fans don't understand what that means. So we just kind of explain it, what it means. And, and so it's a useful read too. It's informative as well. It's just, a, it's about me, you know, and, uh, and wine. And yes, there's going to be, there's going to be an addition. So much has happened. I got a hold of Marty. I said, Marty, why don't we, why don't we write some more? Let's, let's, let's update this whole thing up, bring it up to today, to my retirement and so forth. And he said, that's a great idea. And so we're going to be doing that and have the, uh, the new revised edition uh, in the spring. That sounds great. You, yeah. wrote, you wrote a novel, too, Elvis and Tiger. Uh, that, that's quite a thing to do. Like, what, what brought on the decision, you know, I, I have an idea in my head and I'm going to write a novel about it? Well, the thing is, I like the writing process so much that just between you and me, I got the bug. <laughs> and... I had this idea in mind for a book and writing just between you and me was a difficult task. Uh, there were, there were tough subjects on there. And, uh, and so, so I, you know, I had to take a break from it. I had to take a break from it. my mother dying and how that affected the family um, and, and other things, very serious things. Uh, and so, 
Um, yeah, I, I told I take a break from it. Then I missed the writing process. And I, so I said, you know, I'm going to start doing this at 530 in the morning. And I started writing a book about Elvis Presley and, and Tiger Woods. It's such a quirky idea. And I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I really like the book very, very, very much. And, and just between you and me, if I never read it again, I, I'm certainly okay with that. That's my past. But Elvis and Tiger it was so much fun and so enjoyable. Um, I know that uh, there's a little, they call it blurb at the front of the book where people say nice things about the book mm-hmm. or, the, or the author. And, um, and uh, just between you and me, must have had close to 30 people, all kinds of musicians and other people saying wonderful things. Uh, but in this book, uh, I had, uh, and some did again, but in this case, on the front of the book is um, Great Big C, Alan Doyle. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to write. And and then Alan Doyle read the book and he gave me a blurb saying how much he enjoyed the book. It's a great book. Yeah, the idea that Elvis Presley wasn't dead uh, at the time this book was written. He was still alive, but he was in more or less incognito and hiding, if you will, uh, down in Antigua and he watched Tiger win the Masters Championship by a mile. He won by like 12 strokes or something. So here's a black man winning, sweeping that, uh, going in through the front doors of this hallowed facility, golf course. And and uh, I thought it was really interesting. And Elvis was, was so taken by it. He wanted to meet uh, Tiger Woods and have 18 holes of golf. And that's what the book's about. That's really fantastic. I, I love it. You seem to be having... A pretty good time. I've, I've been following you on social media, and I know, you know, technically, quote unquote, you are retired, uh, but but you're not. You've been keeping yourself really, really busy. Um, you play a lot close to home, but you've been playing quite a bit. Has it been fun? Is it is it fun again to be able to go out and, you know, not doing national tours, just kind of staying close to home, but still getting to play? Oh, it's, it's great. It really is great. Uh I get to sleep in my own bed almost always. Um, uh, and and so uh, I'm playing for friends. I get to meet new friends down here. I'm part of the whole musical community down here. And the fact that I don't have to fly and be gone for uh, long periods of time uh, dealing with airports, that's my that's 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 the one area I'm so glad that uh, uh, in all of touring and playing with April one that that I don't have to do that anymore. My experiences in Pearson just over the last few years, several years alone, um, it's kind of a modern day Bermuda Triangle, that place. What goes in there might not necessarily ever be seen again. And all the delays and cancellations, it's a crazy world right now. It's a very difficult world uh, for folks uh, with the cost of living and on and on and on. Uh, And I just stay at home now. I don't have to get on a plane. I have to go anywhere. I have to travel. I don't sleep in hotels and which I did all of my adult life, literally. So I'm just having a ball here, playing with friends, keeping it local. It's awesome. It's also been a lot of fun watching you interact with the East Coast music scene. I'm a huge fan of the East Coast music scene, and now you are one of those active parts of it, and watching you play with people like, uh, and and hang around with people like J.P. Cormier and Matt Minglewood, and... East Coast music scene has been really heavy over the last couple of days uh, with the death of one of the greats, in my mind, uh, Bruce Guthrow. And I I, I was wondering, you you knew Bruce at least to a degree. Um, That had to be a tough one. Oh, it was a shocker. We all knew he was quite ill, and and, uh, it was hard to be optimistic at the end. But everybody was still rooting for him, praying for him. 
Uh, and then I got the call very early uh, the morning. Uh, I guess he died that night. I'm not sure of the hour. But first thing in the morning, I got a message from uh, Lenny Glantz. Or no, it was Matt Minglewood telling me that uh, that Bruce had, uh, had died that night. So right before. So yeah, that was cheese. You know, I, I, I yeah, I really miss him. You know, and like I didn't know him as well as some. Not like Matt, but uh, yeah, it was brutal. Him dying so young, just crazy. Just turned sixty-two. The whole thing stinks. You know, bad things happen to great people. And Jimmy Buffett a little a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, passed away and he was very close friends with Gallant with Lenny uh, they just recorded a couple of songs sang together sang together on, on Jimmy's latest uh, Jimmy Buffett's latest recording which uh, I'm sure many people will get to hear mm-hmm. so yeah it's been a tough a, a tough uh, several weeks yeah at Ignite we have some amazing programming aimed at youth inspiring youth and exposing them to entrepreneurship and steam programming is one of Ignite's pillars STEAM stands for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, and it's the key to igniting creativity, imagination, and innovation. From our $100 Entrepreneur Challenge summer camps, our Up and Atom Science and Sports summer camps, our Igniting Creativity in Arts and Music series of events, to game creation and more, we are helping to build future innovators in our rural communities. For more information and to sign up for our events newsletter, visit IgniteAtlantic.com. Let's talk a little bit about the blues. It leads nicely into that. Um, I love your blues albums, the two of them, Miles Goodwin and and the Friends of the Blues. I was wondering if you have any more of the blues solo albums geared up and ready to go, or uh, what's what's the plan for Miles Goodwin as a solo artist? Well, the the blues thing is is eminent, you know, and and I've almost finished writing it. And, and one of the things that's changed about writing for, for my, you know, says a solo artist with April one, who asked me about it earlier is inspiration. I, I feel I have to be very, very inspired to do my best to write the best that I can. Mm-hmm. And so I won't take anything that comes along. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to make, you know, every song great, as great as I can do it, great as, as, as I can do it. So, it's very close to be I me mean, going into the studio and doing the third one. Uh, it, it is going to be called uh, I Dream in Blue. And uh, I've already written the song, title song, I Dream in Blue. And about two songs finished uh, to finish before the, I have all that I need to do the next blues album. Excellent. I, I can't wait. Also, you've been doing, as we mentioned, a lot of live performances. You're coming to, to Yarmouth in the next couple of weeks or so. What can fans expect at a performance? Is it do you play some of the blues stuff? Is it mostly the April Wine stuff? What's a Miles Goodwin performance like? Well, it's mostly April Wine. I mean, I wrote the April Wine stuff on acoustic guitar mm-hmm. uh, because in the early days I was in an apartment or sharing a house with other people, and then I had a young family, you know, at the time, and, and so I would write. I'd wrap myself around acoustic guitar and write songs like I Like to Rock and Tonight's One Night to Fall in Love or anything, all of those songs, just between you, all acoustic guitar. And then I would take that version into the studio with the band and record it, but, you know, with a band, rock, April Wine style. And that worked very, very well. Uh, I didn't bother anybody while <laughs> I was working too much. And so I still do that. I, I still do that. I like to, to write on, on acoustic guitar, knowing what it's going to sound like when I plug into a Marshall in a Les Paul. So 
the inner live performance it's all acoustic so you get to hear the songs as they sounded when they were first written pretty much and there's a lot of stories you know there's some stories and you know, backstories and and anecdotes and stuff and, and explaining the recording process or certain things that make sense and uh, i do a couple from the blues i do early influences not april wine but what you know a few early country hank snow song and and things like that and uh, yeah it's all of these things and um, and a lot of laughs people have a, have a very very good time i i love when people are to make people laugh i think all of us artists do uh, we like to have that, you know, we're not comedians, but we can't be funny. And, uh, <laughs> and some are better, you know, gunning is hilarious and, and, and uh, JP can be quite funny and, and on and on. Um, it's more folky than I ever thought I wanted to do. Uh, I've got this in my mind. I've got this thing about folk singers where they, they tune for 15 minutes and then sing a four minute song. <laughs> And they're talking the whole time, you know, and then they finally get around to the song. Um, and April Wine is, you don't talk, you play. And everything segues, everything's got to, it's all staged and in and, 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 and such a way that it makes sense. And, and, and you don't want to stop the flow of things in a two hour show with lengthy uh, uh, conversations and stuff. It just, it doesn't work in rock uh, like it does in folk and, and other uh, genres, if you will. You know that's what they that, that's what they're going to get, and, and it's a really good group. It's Jim Henman's been, we've been friends since 1963. Growing up in Waverly, uh, we we've written together, we recorded. He was the founding member of April Wine. He's the guy that came to me and said, "You want to form a band," and it became April Wine in 1969. And we've been performing together. We've been friends since '63. Uh, so he's going to be there playing acoustic guitar and singing, and uh, John Chason on bass yep. vocals and Steve Gates, a wonderful drummer uh, who grew up a local boy. Uh, and, and they, they've all of these guys, well, John and, and Steve have played with so, so many bands, so many recordings. Uh, it's a list of who's who down here in the Maritimes are all, over, over all the years. So they're really good musicians and it's a good, it's a good show. It's, it's a good show. It really is. People love it. For the younger musicians who may be out there, and I know it's a completely different world, uh, but for younger musicians who are looking to develop their craft, do you, do you have anything, any kind of a, a tips or uh, suggestions? Uh, what kind of problems are they going to run into? Probably all of them. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it, it takes an awful lot of luck. I know, I don't really understand uh, the way things are today enough to give advice to anybody, but I can give advice, the same advice I've been giving for decades to you know, new songwriters that want to know. Uh, you know, to, to hear what I have to say about the process. And, and I say this, I've said the same thing, and that is <laughs> work hard. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, really, that's true. There's work harder than everybody else. In April Wine, everybody else was sleeping, and I wasn't. I was trying to write the next hit. All I did was work, 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 work. I was a workaholic. I produced them, I wrote them, the music, the lyrics, I mean, everything. And so I worked a lot harder, you know, for April Wine than anybody ever did and i think that's why we were successful in part in a great part not aside from the fact that you know we were a great band we sounded great and i couldn't have done as much or nearly as much without the people that i've worked with in april wine but um you know it takes work it takes hard work. yeah we have to work hard i mean that's a, it's a cliche but it's absolutely true 
just find out where you want to go and just just go for it and just stay focused and, and work super hard. Give it a hundred percent at least if you want to be successful and then hope for the best. Absolutely. Okay. Not everybody not everybody gets to make it. I mean, clearly and obviously, you know, that's why I wrote a song once called um, Rock and Roll is a Vicious Game. It, it wasn't about me. It was about well, I reference you know Elvis Presley and, and what happened to him. The people did succumb to the uh, the lifestyle, Janice and Jimmy and so forth. Uh, but it was also about young people that loved music and wanted to be a musician or a singer, and they had talent, you know, and they gave it everything they could, and, and it didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen for one reason or or another. But, but even if they didn't have a lot of talent, just there was such a love for music and such a desire to express themselves through music that just didn't happen for them. And, uh, and that's what the, really what the heart of the song was all about. Uh, and rock and roll is a vicious game is the title I used. And, and it's a, a well-known song, but that's what, that's what it dealt with. Can we touch a little bit on some of the charitable work you've done? Cause you've done a lot. Now you're, you're diabetic, like, like me, I'm diabetic. And, You've done a lot of work with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation over the years, and and really, that's quite a thing. Oh, I still do that. Whenever I play with my my my, my quartet right now, or four right now, and um, Long Pants, my solo record that came out last year, has a song on it that deals with uh, that I wrote for my son when he was diagnosed with diabetes and just he just turned seven years old. It's called Over the Moon, and it's very positive. And I performed it at JD, JDRF functions and so forth. And uh, so anyway, what I do every time I play is I, I bring a bunch of the CDs, a bunch of long pants CDs, and I tell everybody they're free for a dollar or more. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that for every penny that we, we collect every night, every cent uh, goes to the Juvenile Diabetes Research uh, Foundation. My son, of course, is still diabetic type one. Uh, I'm diabetic now and uh, and have been since 07. It runs in my family, I got brothers and so forth. We all, it just unfortunately in our genes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing that with April Wine for years. I, I had a different approach, so I didn't give things away for free, but we collected donations at April Wine just for years. And now that I'm on my own, I do it this way. And we collect a lot of money for JDRF and every bit of it goes to, to research in hopes that it's going to help kids in the future and kids now that are living long enough to maybe not have the problem anymore um, because there'll be kind of a solution, you know, maybe pancreas uh, replacements or, or whatever. So it's what I'll do. I'll do it as long as I possibly can. I, I did want to add one other thing when you talk about charities. Um, I have a charity called a social, a soulful caring, one word, C-O-L-E-C-A-R-I-N-G, soulful caring. And uh, I collect and distribute um, gently used shoes for homeless people. Mm-hmm. I started this with a doctor up in Montreal who's diabetic like me. And, and, uh, and there are a lot of diabetics out on the street, too. Yep. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of people that are homeless. It's more and more because of the cost of housing and the lack of housing available. And I've been doing that for a long time. I took a break from it because things happened before COVID. And anyway, things have changed a bit. I did it for years. Matter of fact, the very first event we had was right here in Halifax. I said, I want to have the first one on my back door. And that was at Value Village in Halifax. 
And there's a lot of coverage for that and gave it a good kick. And I collect, uh, uh, not clothing or anything, but uh, footwear. And now we're coming up to, to, to the winter months. Uh, people die outside every year uh, because of exposure to the cold and everything. And, and my doctor friend, Stan Van Dyce, he said to me when I decided to do this, he said the, the most vulnerable part of our bodies when during these winter conditions is our feet. Mm-hmm. We have to keep our feet warm and we have to protect our feet. And of course, if you're a diabetic, all you have to do is, you know, cut your foot. You can lose a leg. And then with three to five years after that, you're dead. Yep. And so um, I want to have a campaign again in November. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk about the date right now. And I have some, some very cool people that are going to join me on stage. We'll, we'll make some music and we'll collect uh, some money and, and shoes for, for the homeless for this winter here in the area in Nova Scotia. So that's the other charity that's really important to me. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, thank you so much for that, Miles. Uh, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the time you took. It's, it's been a blast to be able to talk to you. You can follow Miles on social media. He's pretty active on Facebook. He also has a website, milesgoodwin.com. And if you're on the East Coast, catch a performance from Miles. It's a fun show. To find out more about rural innovation and what Ignite does, check out igniteatlantic.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you subscribed to Ignited, shared us with your friends, and gave us a good review. You can find past episodes of Ignited in our archive. We'd love to hear from you. Any comments or suggestions about the podcast or who you'd like to hear on it are most welcome. Our website, again, is igniteatlantic.com. My email is wade at igniteatlantic.com. Drop me a note. I'm Wade Cleveland. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.